Our sermon today, we're going back to Luke. And so today we're going to be in Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. If you'd please rise out of honor of God's word. Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. That's found page 1110 in your Black Pew Bible and 1211 in the Faith Alive Bible. So today's uh, sermon is going to be less preaching and more teaching. Um, I, I suppose I could have preached this text too, but I, there's so much here that we wanted to teach through it. How do we apply these things and live them out and emphasize that more? So Luke 14, verses 1 through 6. And I read in Jesus' name. One Sabbath... When he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Let us pray. Father, as we come now to study your word, to seek to live it out and to apply it and to understand what it means and what it means for us, we ask that you'd grant us wisdom. Lord, we need your wisdom to understand these things, that they would become part of our lives and that we might think in this world and act in this world as Jesus did. Father, I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So, the, the theme of the message today is going to be this. If a law is not applied lovingly, it is misapplied. And the problem that the Pharisees ran into was that they, well, it was actually the exact same problem that Adam and Eve ran into. So Adam and Eve, Satan came to them and said, hey, you want to be like God. All you have to do is eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and you will be like God. Follow that paraphrase. Apologize for that. But what they ended up doing is as they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they sought to have knowledge of good and evil apart from a relationship with God. And so then they became responsible for it. And so instead of living out the law, living out wisdom, having wisdom in relationship with God, now they had wisdom apart from their relationship with God. They sought to have that knowledge. I don't need God. I can decide on my own. So the Pharisees ran into this exact same problem. And so as the Pharisees were trying to figure out, what does God want? When he says, you know, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days of the week you shall work. But on the seventh you shall rest. It shall be a holy Sabbath to you. There's a couple of different verses in my head with that. And so that's, again, the fall that paraphrase, and I apologize. Uh, I should actually just have some of these things memorized, absolutely, and not have random ones um, added to it, but whatever. So as, as they sought to understand that, what they ran into was what's most important? Holiness or rest? And what they landed on was rest. Well, what is rest? Well, rest is the cessation of work, right? So if God wants us to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, that means that what I've got to do is nothing. 
I've got to go as close to nothing as possible because that's going to be the most restful. That's going to be the least workful. And that's what God wants. Now the question was, were they right? Because this is the ruler. This is a ruler. Note the audience. One Sabbath day when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Now these... This isn't just some average schmo out there. This is one of the bigwigs. And so as Jesus is interacting with this guy, as he's trying to teach this ruler of the Pharisee, if this guy gets it, it's going to pass down. If this guy rejects it, it's going to pass down. Now, as we talked about in men's Bible study yesterday, Jesus wasn't doing this just to exasperate the Pharisees. He wasn't healing on the Sabbath in order to kind of poke at them and be a jerk. Can I say that? I I can say it. Okay, I just did anyways. But Jesus wasn't doing that. That wasn't his goal. His goal was to teach. He wanted the Pharisees to know and to understand these things better because their problem was they didn't get it. They didn't get the purpose of the Sabbath. They didn't get the purpose of the whole law because they missed this. Because you miss one part that affects all the other parts. That's why these doctrines that we talk about, I know sometimes we, you know, people joke, well, doctrines don't really matter. Yeah, they kind of do because they all connect. It's not one doctrine's over here and one doctrine's over there and they don't really overlap. It's as we interact with this part, we also interact with this part. As we interact with the, uh, the idea of the law or, you know, the rest on the Sabbath day, that will also affect the way that they interact with their brother and their sister and their fellow Jews and the fellow human beings. It's going to interact with the way that they view stuff. It's going to interact with the way that they view everything. And so Jesus is hitting this because the Sabbath was a big deal for the Pharisees at this day and time. And it's a big deal for the Jewish people right now too. It's actually one of the big dividers between Jewish, uh, between the really orthodox Jews and the more liberal Jewish communities is the Sabbath. And so when the Jews thought, when the Pharisees thought about the Sabbath, they thought God wanted them to rest. God had wanted them to avoid work. And so anything that looked like work was going against God's will. But they missed it. Why? Well, what's the first and the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, Jesus says. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now that, those commandments don't abrogate. Note that word. It's an important word. Um, In Islam, you have something called abrogation because the Quran was written, I'm not going to get into all the depth of this, but the Quran was written in, over a period of time and the stuff that was earlier can be abrogated by the stuff that is later, meaning that it is the stuff that was later was more important and will actually supersede the stuff that was written earlier. And so when people say the Quran is perfect, what they mean is the Quran is perfect as long as you interpret it the way that we want you to interpret it. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, whatever. So within Islamic scholarship, there's a big debate as to what was written earlier and what was written later because the Quran is actually organized according to the length of the verses, the chapters, and not chronologically. And so now there's debate there. But that's not the way that Scripture works. Scripture doesn't abrogate. It isn't that, well, 
Loving my neighbor means that I don't need to keep the Sabbath day. That's not what that means. It means how I keep the Sabbath day is dictated by me loving my neighbor. And how I love my neighbor is dictated by me loving God. So I can't love my neighbor and hate God at the same time and say, well, I'm doing it right. I can't keep the Sabbath day and be hating on my neighbor. Right? Because then this higher commandment gets broken. So as I keep the Sabbath day, I keep the Sabbath day out of love for God and out of love for my neighbor. Not just out of love for me. Does this make sense at all? Like, when we think about the law, oftentimes when we think about laws, we think about, well, I've got to, I've got to not speed too much. <laughs> That's the law, right? I've got to not speed too much. I can't break the law enough that I get in trouble. But when we think about the law of God, well, I'm not supposed to do that one and I'm not supposed to do with this one. They actually overlap because they overlap out of love for God and of love for my neighbor. Love my neighbor as myself. And so as I'm keeping the Sabbath day, if I'm keeping the Sabbath day in such a way that it harms my neighbor, I'm doing it wrong. If I'm keeping the Sabbath day in such a way as it blasphemes God, I'm doing it wrong. And so these Pharisees, as they were trying to keep the Sabbath day in such a way as they wanted to prevent Jesus from healing this man who had dropsy, they were doing it wrong. They didn't know how to use the law. They didn't know how to walk out the law. They didn't know how to live it out. They didn't even know what the purpose was for the law. They thought the purpose of the law was to make them holy enough for God. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of obedience, why do we obey God? Is it so God will like us? No. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so, does me does me. If I keep, I'm just going to change the whole sentence. If I keep the law, does that make God happier with me? No. That's not the point of the law. The point of the law is to drive me to God. So what does this look like? Nadab and Abihu. You guys know who these guys were? Nadab and Abihu. The sons of Aaron. Now, the sons of, as sons of Aaron, they had the calling of God to be priests for the people of Israel. Aaron was the high priest. Nadab and Abihu were the second in command. And their, one of their responsibilities was to offer incense on behalf of the people of Israel before God. Now, Nadab and Abihu have this really special privilege of having been killed because of the holiness of God. And so when they came before God with unauthorized fire... Fire went out from the altar and killed them. So what does this have to do with us keeping the Sabbath day? Well, they had the right to offer incense, right? They had the calling to offer incense. They had the responsibility to offer incense. But if they offered incense wrong, what happened to them? Pooh. They got smoked. That's not the best way to say it, but it's memorable. So when they offered incense wrong, they got smoked. Yeah, that's the way. So when they, even though they had the right to do it, and they had the calling to do it, when they did it wrong, 
the wrath of God came upon them. And so when we think about the Sabbath day, on the Sabbath day, do we have the right to rest? Yeah. Do we have the calling to rest? Yeah. If I'm resting wrong, does that make me okay? No. And so if we're thinking about the law as a way of holiness, we have to think about it in its absolute sense that if I mess up in any way, I've just broken the whole thing. It's a big deal. But that's why we don't teach the law for the sake of holiness. The law isn't for the sake of your holiness. Who has died that you might be holy? Jesus, right? And so if Jesus has died so that I might be holy, does me keeping the law perfectly make me more holy? No, it can't. Does it mean that now I'm closer to God because I've kept the law writer? Writer? More better. Thanks, Lon. We talk good. <laughs> no. Don't worry, I actually did that one on purpose. Believe it or not. Some of you don't, but that's fine. You don't have to believe me. It doesn't make me closer to God. That's not what the law was for. If I just keep it right, if I just obey God better, then I'll be closer to God. No, that's not how the law works. And that's what Jesus is teaching the Pharisees. That's not how the law works. The purpose of the Sabbath rest was not so you do no work. It was supposed to be holy unto the Lord. Yep. Nadab and Abihu, or Bihu, whatever, it depends on. So they offered unauthorized fire. And so what that means is they came before God in a way that God had not ordained. And so they're like, well, what was, what was the big deal? It was a lesson for all of Israel from that point on that if you're going to try to be holy before God by keeping the law, you've got to do it perfect. You've got to do it absolutely perfect. Because the purpose of the law was never to make you holy. God had already called the Israelites he had already sanctified them to be his people. He had already claimed them as his people. He had already made them holy and separated them from everyone else. The purpose of the law was that they might be one with God. That they might, the purpose of the law was to bring them to Jesus. Paul says that in the book of Galatians. It was to be a schoolmaster to bring them to Christ. And so then, what they did wrong was they didn't keep it perfectly. They're like, well, why was that a big deal? Because that's what holiness is. If we rely on ourselves for holiness, we have to be holy absolutely. There can't be any deviation in us. If we're relying on ourselves for holiness, if we're relying on ourselves for our relationship with God, if we're relying on our works, if I'm relying on the things that I do or I don't do, don't smoke, drink, or chew, or go with girls who do, You guys haven't heard that for a while? Yeah, that's a great one, isn't it? Um, yeah, that's an old joke from back home. But that's, that's not what holiness is. Holiness isn't about what we do and what we don't do. Holiness is about reliance on God. Because that's what God wanted Adam and Eve to do. And that's what Adam and Eve didn't do when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
That's what the Jewish people didn't do when they relied on the law to become holy. That's what the Pharisees were messing up here when they were relying on not working to be the thing that brought God down to them. They were relying on themselves. And so if we're relying on ourselves and we mess up at any point, we're done. We can't trust ourselves. We can't look to ourselves. We can't look to the law. We can't look to do's and don'ts to be the things that draw us to Christ. They're rather, to be the things that make us acceptable to Christ. I was listening to a preacher at one point um, back when I was in high school. I, I've told this story before. See, Levi, this is the danger of telling stories on yourself because then you start to repeat. And if people are actually listening, they'll remember them. So that's why I'm telling the story again. Um, <laughs> some of you will get that later, don't worry. When I was in high school, I was listening to a preacher who said that repentance isn't really repentance unless you cry, unless you weep with it. And so then I thought that my repentance wasn't anything before God because you know, I'm Norwegian. This is me happy and sad. It's just what you get. And if I'm not weeping, if I'm not being Italian with all of this, God's not, accepting my, God's not accepting my repentance. And I had that in my head, and I struggled with that for years. You think about that. What one of these little lies, one of these ridiculous sayings will do to a person who's actually trying to pursue the Lord through the law. It'll get you all backwards. Because it's not about my weeping. You know, all of you emotional men out there. It's not about weeping or not weeping. It's about trusting Jesus. I'm not forgiven because I repented right. Forgiven because Jesus died. That's the point. It's trusting Christ. Korah ran into the same thing. The rebellion of Korah. Korah was, um, he was a Jewish man. He was one of the elders of the Jewish people. And he told Moses and Aaron, he said, you guys, you set yourselves up wrongly. Has not God sanctified the whole people of Israel? We can offer incense too. We don't have to do it through you. This is in the book of Numbers. And so Moses said, fine, go for it. So Korah, what he did is he and all of the people that were following him, they made their own censers. They put incense into those censers. They burned those censers before the Lord. And you know what happened to them? They got smoked. <laughs> the censers were holy. They made shields out of them later. But just because they were of the people of Israel and knowing that God wanted people to pray, God wanted people to offer incense because that's what incense is. It's a visible form of our prayers. Um, knowing that God wanted that, knowing that the priests were supposed to do that, knowing that they were of the same lineage as the priests, they did it wrong because they took upon themselves something that was not theirs. And so in trying to draw closer to God, they disobeyed God. And because they thought they had a right where they didn't. They didn't trust God. They trusted themselves. They trusted their lineage. They trusted their ability. They distrusted Moses and Aaron. And so if we obey the law but break it in one part, what happens? That's why this is so important. If we're trusting in ourselves to keep the law for holiness but break one part, we're lost. We're lost. Because why did they get destroyed in a physical sense, but other, you know, other people don't? 
Well, because God doesn't have to keep doing it for other people. He did it that one time so that people will know this is how he approaches this. He did it to Nadab and Abihu. He did it to Korah and all of his followers so that we can look at those stories and say, I better not be like this. Because then we also have Peter and John. And Peter and John, when they were arrested, they were told, hey, you've got to stop preaching the name of Jesus. What did Peter and John say to the Sanhedrin at that point? No. Is it better to obey man or God? God. And so the law of God is higher. So Nadab and Abihu, they missed it because they had it backwards. They thought, we have these rights and these privileges, therefore we can do it as we want. No, that's not true. Obedience is greater than sacrifice. It's better to be trusting God and walking in His way because ultimately obedience is an act of faith. That's a Christian way of thinking about obedience. I do this because I trust God, not in order to prove myself to God, not in order to get closer to God. I do this because I trust Him and He's wiser than I am. And so instead of trusting God, they offered sacrifice thinking that the sacrifice would cover up their lack of faith. It doesn't work out that way. Korah did the same thing. Peter and John, they said, no, we're going to obey God first, and if that means bad things happen to us, so be it. It's better to obey God because they trusted God and they knew God. So what does this look like? So as we're, as we're interacting with these thoughts, now these are, these are hard thoughts, aren't they? This isn't stuff that normally gets talked about. Why? Because it's difficult to preach on it, which is why I'm trying to teach on it more so and walking through these things in the way that I am. Because we don't do what we do in order to be holy. We do what we do in order to show the love of Christ to the world around us, to live in the love of Christ ourselves, to reveal God. And so then why do we have the law? I should have put that up there too, but I I didn't. Why do we have the law? Why do we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy? Why? Why do I love my neighbor as myself? Why do I not bear false witness? Why do I not steal? Why do I not commit adultery? Why do I not envy? Why do I not do these things? Because I'm such a good person. No. It's not the, those aren't the reasons. Because do they, does obedience draw me closer to Christ? Not obedience in and of itself. Obedience out of faith, but then faith is first. So it's not obedience. It's me trusting Christ that draws me closer to Christ. So what's the purpose of the law? It's to reveal God. So now I remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy out of love for God and out of love for my neighbor. Not because if I do it wrong, God's going to be mad at me because then I'm putting my faith in the wrong thing. If I put my faith in the law, then I'm in the same place as Nadab and Abihu. If I put my faith in the law, I'm in the same place as Korah, who did it right, but he was the wrong person. If I put my faith in these things, Paul says that if you seek the law for life, you have to live it absolutely. So we don't live out the law in order to prove ourselves to God. 
That's not the reason that we live as Christians. Now we live as Christians, one, because God is wise, faithful, trustworthy, that God loves me and he wouldn't tell me to do something that's bad. And so I do it out of love for God. God is bigger. God is greater. I'm going to submit to him because it is right and it is good and it is above all. And so why do I keep the law? Out of love for God. Why also do I keep the law? Out of love for my neighbor. Because if I stole, is that me loving my neighbor? If I bore false witness, you know one of the things with building this house that's been super frustrating is people not keeping their promises. Right? You know, well, talk to Gene and Cheryl about that. You guys have had irritations as well with all of this stuff. Like, so if I'm lying, am I loving my neighbor? No. So how then do we keep the law? If I'm to keep the law out of love for God and of love for my neighbor instead of out of love for me, how do I do it? Because it changes the way that we do it. Because that was the whole point of this. It changed the way that Jesus interacted with it because he could bless the person, bless the man with dropsy, and still keep the Sabbath day holy unto the Lord and be at rest. How do we do that? Well, it's in our relationship with Christ. Because as Christ had this relationship with the Father, he then lived that out in blessing other people. And so there is a place for our personal private relationship with Christ. But I even hesitate with that word private because our relationship with Christ should not be private. Because we're a body, right? And so if I'm asking that question, how do I best father my children? Because as a father, I have the responsibility from God to train up my children in the way they should go. Now, Shouldn't that actually be in relationship with my children that I figure out what it means to be a father to my children? Yeah. And so if I'm just sitting at home praying by myself and just talking to myself about it, like, okay, this is what it means for me to do it, and then I do it, and my kids don't get it. Who was wrong? God or me? Me. So then I need to be doing this in relationship. Now, I also put in here a non-algorithmic body. An algorithm is how Facebook and YouTube and Instagram decide who you see and who you don't see, which posts you see and which posts you don't see. And the danger of algorithmic bodies, so groups of people that are brought together through algorithms, through computer programs, is that their goals are not necessarily godly. And I'm not saying you shouldn't be on Facebook and Instagram and YouTube and all those things. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying you have to be careful because Facebook and Instagram, they're the same things, and X or Twitter or whatever in the world it's called now. Um, Those things, they have an agenda. And that agenda is to get you hooked. And so they're going to put things on your feed that get you hooked, not necessarily things that edify you or give you wisdom, or draw you nearer to Christ. That's not their goal. Their goal is to get you hooked. And so you have to be careful with algorithmic bodies because there's another goal there. 
So when it comes to a real body, that means people in a real life community. We need people in a real life community because in this real life community, we've got different personalities. Right? There's different ways of thinking about things. We need to be talking to each other because I interact with the world in a, in a way that's different than the way that Ken interacts with the world, which is different than the way that Marlon interacts with the world, which is different than the way that Jen interacts with the world. And so as we interact with the world differently and we communicate, we start to see different things. And so if I'm surrounded by a group of pastors, pastors, just pastors. Now pastors are all pretty different too, in more ways than one. But if you get a bunch of pastors together, Oftentimes, they end up thinking the same way about things. And so in seminary, seminary is great, but seminary is not real life. Because you've got a bunch of pastors together and they're saying, well, we should do this because if we do this, then the congregation should react this way. You know what the reality is? If we do this, that has no, <laughs> that doesn't predict the way that the congregation's going to act. And so as a pastor and as a seminarian, 14 years ago, back when I was in seminary, we had all sorts of plans. When we become pastors, this is what we're going to do. Did you know I tried some of those? None of them worked. And so we had an algorithmic body. We had a body that was curated by a seminary. But when that entered into real life, it wasn't real. And so the way that we thought to live out the law didn't bless people. It didn't draw people closer to Christ. It didn't work. Because what's the goal of a pastor? What does Paul tell us in 1 Timothy 1? The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart to good conscience and a sincere faith. And so if me being a pastor, if it's not driving that, it's not working. If it's not creating that, it's not working. And so we need a real body so that we can see, is this benefiting? Because as the Pharisees sought to obey the law in such a way that they allowed this guy with dropsy to keep being with dropsy, were they fulfilling the law rightly? No. They missed it because it didn't draw them closer to Christ. It separated them from Christ. They missed it because instead of blessing the people, they now used it as a way to avoid the people and to separate themselves from the people. And the only way that we know if this is real or not is by actually interacting with people. Figuring this out in the body. We need the body. Because that's where God gives discernment. Uh, Solomon says, and I, I quote this often, but it's important. The man who isolates himself rages against all sound judgment and seeks his own desire. I actually think I got those backwards, but it doesn't matter. It's the same thing. So we don't do this in isolation. We're not called to be hermits. We're called to be a body. Now there's a place also for elders. Because you know the thing about elders is there are people that have practiced this stuff. And so you can come to an elder and say, hey, I want to do this. The elder will say, I tried that. It didn't work. You know, I think about, uh, so as as Stalin took over during the Soviet Union, Lenin and Stalin, they thought that they knew everything. And so then they tried to take over farming. So you've got a bunch of politicians that decided that they would be in charge of farming. 
they thought it would save a lot of time to sow the flaxseed in the winter. Because there's already moisture there. And flaxseed needs moisture, but it's not going to germinate when it's too cold. And so that moisture will be ready and then they'll already be on the ground when spring comes. Well, what happens to flaxseed when it gets wet? Have any of you ever, ever put flaxseed in water? It becomes slimy and gooey. And so what happened as the snow started to melt because the sun hit the flaxseed first, Right? And it heated up and it started to melt the snow around it. It became slimy and gooey. And now that flaxseed is warm, but the snow is not melted. And so the ground's not thawed. So the flaxseed that's warm and gooey and moist is now rotting on top of the snow. Instead of the politicians who had never farmed going to the elders of the farming community saying, hey, we'd like to do this, should we do it? And the farmers saying, no. What they ended up doing is condemning a bunch of people to death because they didn't have crops because there wasn't enough flaxseed now to plant again. The Soviet Union starved people because they didn't ask the elders. And so if I think I have this great idea and I don't go to Brian who's already tried it or I don't make it known to the community whereas Brian's already tried it. Because if I make it known to the community and Brian says, hey, Joe, well, I was 25, I tried that and it didn't work out well for me. Here are things to watch out for. If I don't make it known to the community and I just go and do it, do I get any of his wisdom? Do I get any of the benefits of his hard-earned hard knocks? Not that Brian's ever made any mistakes or had any hard knocks. But <laughs> why do we have the body? Well, you know, I think the best way for me to love my wife is whenever she has a question to ignore her. Do you guys think that that's a great idea? I think that's what she would really like. I think she would really like it if I ignored her more often. Note the more often because it already happens. <laughs> Everyone says no, but God tells me to love my wife and I think it's a great idea. Everybody says, Joe, that's a bad idea. You're not keeping the law wisely, keeping the law poorly. You're not actually loving your wife, you're loving yourself. Remember that, Josh. Loving your wife, your future wife, does not mean ignoring her. Sorry, man. I've tried it. It doesn't work. <laughs> Learn from my mistake. <laughs> so, why do we keep the law? Is it in order to become holy? No. If we try to keep the law in order to be holy, what's going to happen to us? We're going to get smoked. It's going to condemn us because that's what the law does. So, okay, how do I keep the law then? Now I keep the law out of love for God and a love for my neighbor. Well, how do I know how to do that? I do that within the community. Because the community of believers is the ones that God is teaching, God is working through, God is leading, God is guiding. Not just the pastor. Don't just come to me. I don't know everything, believe it or not. <laughs> Thank you, Kathy. If you don't believe me, just ask my mother-in-law. She will tell you the many things I don't know. 
But this is how we learn to keep the law. This is the purpose of the law. It's to love God and to love our neighbors. Why we keep the law? Not out of holiness, not out of, because it makes me closer to God, not because it impresses my neighbors. No, it's not those things. We keep the law out of love for God and of love for our neighbor. And if we are applying the law in a way that's not loving, we are misapplying it. If I'm applying the law in a way that's not loving, I am misapplying it. Does this make sense? Any questions? Because we get into these problems. People get into these problems all the time. Churches get into these problems all the time. I know churches that have split, dissolved, just dissolved over laws. Over laws that they have created. Oftentimes they're called traditions. Well, that's not the way we do it. And because the people couldn't keep the law out of love for each other and they kept the law out of fighting with each other, by fighting with each other, what it ended up doing is it dissolved the churches. They kept the law, but all they did was end up driving people away. All it did was drove them away from God because they trusted in the tradition instead of turning to the Lord. So we need to keep the law in a way that blesses, in a way that draws people to Christ, in a way that reveals Jesus, in a way that's actually loving. Because that's the purpose of the law. So that's, that's what Jesus is teaching us here in Luke. That's what he's teaching the Pharisees, and that's what he wants us to know too. So, if you have any questions later, you're welcome to ask. I don't know. I think I got a text message, but I don't know if it was a question. No, it wasn't a question. So, all right. If there aren't any questions, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us. Help us to be Christians. Lord, help us to be Christians. Not doing these things for our holiness because you've already given us that. Or help us to trust you and to live out your truths then out of love for a world that needs to see it lived out. Lord, because you are worthy and you are wise and you are good. You are gracious and you are kind. Lord, we thank you. Help us to walk in your ways for the sake of your name, for the sake of your kingdom, for the sake of your people, for the sake of those who are yet to be your people. Lord, help us live these things out in Jesus' name. Amen.